Hello and welcome back to the MotoGP Extra podcast. I'm Reese, and joining me as usual is Dill. Now, you may remember we did promise another podcast before the new year. We sadly didn't remember that, so that's why it's, uh, it's going out now. But today we are finally back to talk about 10 things that we're watching out for in the 2023 MotoGP season. So the first thing we have got on our list, it was a list that we sort of, we compiled like 10 together. Uh, so we took the best from different lists and put it together as a top 10. So that's how we've actually done it. But the first one on our list is the Factory Ducati Tension. Now, this could be quite interesting. I'm going to let you talk about first what you think is going to happen with the Factory Ducatis. But based on what we saw this year, it could get quite saucy, couldn't it? And when they announced that Peko was going to be like alongside Bastianini in 23, immediately that was like the first thing that everyone was thinking about for 2023. So this year, Bastianini's won... Well, last year now, technically, he's won five races, four races? Yep, something like that. Something like that. He won enough races to be a really dark horse this year, considering how it was only his second year. He was really bad at qualifying this first year. He kind of changed after this year, for the most part. Last year again, I should say. We're going to have to get used to this last year, this yeah. year. Yeah, 2022. Yeah, exactly. I'll go over the season, not by what year it was. But anyway, um, so... Everyone saw for a while it was going to be Jorge Martin, he's the outright pace, Bastianini is great but he's not this, and then Bastianini just showed that on a GP bike he's more of a complete package than Jorge Martin. Whether his outright pace over one lap is there, it's not compared to Martin, but Martin doesn't have the the race mind of Bastianini, and that was a huge thing, because... You would kind of, if you take the three riders you would want on the factory to get, you have Jorge Martin, Peko, and Enea. If you take the three of them, you say Jorge Martin is probably the outright quickest of the three, but he lacks the racecraft. Peko kind of falls in between two. He's amazing over one lap and is very good in the race, but then if you look at Bastianini, you say he struggles with that one kind of 150% push lap, and in the race, he's brilliant on tyres. He seems to really get the bike to the finish the quickest and the most cleanest way. So. It's a bit of a dynamic duo for Ducati this year, having the two Italians and not the Spaniard in there, but it's going to be fireworks because they don't seem to get on. There was a couple of battles this year. Pekka wasn't happy with uh, Ine a few times, and it's just going to be fireworks. We just, it like, <laughs> we've gone from having Bagnay and Jack to having two people that already seem to have a bit of needle on the exact same bike, both Italian, both in the Italian pride and joy of Ducati's factory team. So, it's only going to end one way. There's going to be a wall put up. There's going to be war of words. It's going to be Rossi, Lorenzo, Marquez, Rossi, that kind of... There's going to be needle. Now, whether they'll come together on track, they've almost done it a few times. Argon, Mizano, there's been a few moments ever. Sepang as well, they look like they could have came to blows. But uh, I think as well, Inea last year was just being held back by small with the fact that Peko was on a charge in the championship towards the latter stages so it's going to be very interesting it's it's one of the things we had to start with first because it's one of the big talking points for the 2023 season yeah i think it probably could literally define the season because like you say they battled on track so much already to be honest i'd be surprised if they don't come together because the amount of times they've been together on track how close they've been bashanini he's always done a great really good job of avoiding banyaya but i think when the championship's on the line between the two of them I think there potentially could be some fireworks because we saw a couple of occasions, there was last lap showdowns where I think if it was anybody else, I think he'd have let the break off and gone up the inside or perhaps pushed the front a bit more trying to pass. 
and then we could have seen a crash there, but I think because he knew that Banyar was fighting for the championship, Bastianini backed off a bit. But yeah, the, the war of words are started already. There was already stuff being said in the media. You know, Banyai was saying that, oh, well, it's easy for Bastianini because all he has to do is, you know, just put fuel in, fresh tyres on the bike, and that's it. Just go round and round because it's not developing anything. So he's already been sort of making comments about, oh, I think he'll struggle to be a good development rider. I think Bastianini said something about the fact that, you know, he would, that Banyai would rather have Miller as a teammate because he can beat him, something like that. So that has already definitely been some words exchanged between the two of them. Both from the same country, so there's going to be a bit of competition there. It, it does depend, I think, obviously, you know, sometimes, especially when it's a country where there's not so many riders, like maybe like Britain, for example, I think the riders tend to get on a lot, but there's a lot of Italian riders, so I think there's there's not always so much camaraderie there, there's a bit more rivalry. You know, we've seen in the past Rossi Biaggi, for example, you know, obviously probably the most famous Italian rivalry uh, between those two. So especially in the pressure cooker environment of Ducati, I think really it could kick off. And with the bike being as competitive as it was, those two probably being two of the best riders of last year. Well, obviously one of them was a champion, but, you know, Bashinin was fantastic last year as well. Yeah, I like I said, I'd be surprised if they don't come together on track. And I think they're, they're like you say, the wall will definitely be going up. And I think there will be sort of management coming out saying something, saying this is not acceptable uh, when uh, Marquez has picked up 25 points as the two Ducatis are picking themselves out of the gravel. Yeah, that could easily happen. And... It's it's going to develop as the season goes on. We we wonder how long they they can go without coming together. You see it in nearly all the more sports. You see it with, you saw with Alonso and Lewis back in the day. Now we have it with Max and Lewis in current times. We had it with Rossi, Lorenzo, Lorenzo, Marcus. There's so many of these. They're just at the peak of their sport. And the fact they're on the same team now as well, on the same bike, same country. And one's a VR46 athlete and one isn't. That's that's kind of a, a bit of a part to play. So it's going to be probably one of the big things we're going to look out for in the first weekend. But we're going to move on now to our second point. And it has to be early in this podcast that we brought up Mark Marquez. Now, his injury from Jerez 2020 is still plaguing him to this day. We don't know how much his rehab is complete, how far off is he. Now, we do know the Honda, which we'll come to later, we'll come to the Japanese bikes later, but we know the Honda isn't what it needs to be currently. How far or how close do you think Mark Mark is is to winning something this year more than just the other race on that poor Honda? It's hard to say. It really is hard. As always see any kind of testing, just with the Honda. I mean, he was kind of there or thereabouts as it was. Obviously, a whole extra winter to train, that'll make a big difference because, of course, he's, he's just been injured constantly since 2020. Like you say, it was the biggest mistake of his career definitely was getting back on that bike the weekend afterwards, you know. I mean, he could still have won the 2020 championship probably if he'd uh, waited a couple of rounds. The way that championship ended up going with, like, no one wanting to win it, he probably could have just snuck it at the end if he'd just missed a couple of rounds and come back. So, yeah, I bet he really does regret that one now but the Honda just seems to have gone backwards I mean the Honda was never considered great anyway but Marquez could make it work but it was almost at a point last year where Marquez couldn't ride it either <laughs> like it's it's ridiculous maybe it is one of those things where it was so different that nothing he used to know helped him because obviously he managed to win like three races with the the twisted arm back in 2021 and then 2022 obviously he won nothing but he was also not really that competitive until he came back with the fixed arm so it's almost like maybe if he'd had that you know that 20 it basically was the same bike since 2019 if you looked at it really 
uh, if he had that bike under him when he came back with the fixed arm, maybe he could have won some races just because he knew you know what to expect with it. Maybe the new one, you know, maybe 2022's bike was still better, but because it was newer, I don't know. But either way, the bike has not been great for a long time, and he's been able to make the difference. I feel like this year, it's hard, it's hard to say about a championship, because, yeah, you said a couple of race wins, maybe. And I think Austin, Saxon Ring, those kind of rounds, he can win those easily, I, w- I would say, at full fitness. But the other races, I, I just don't know. It, it is, I think he'll be desperate to win, because it's been so long, you know... I, I know he probably wants to prove that he can still beat these guys. You know, he's back to full fitness. People are expecting it. So we might see maybe a bit more of an aggressive mark again. You know, he might sort of go into to ball mode and just absolutely dive on everybody. So it, it will be interesting to watch. I'm sure he'll be playing mind games. So he's definitely not out of it. I'm not saying that, but it is hard to tell until you see the bike in action. But I think there'll definitely be a few race wins. There'll definitely be some controversial moments from Marquez. So that's what I'm looking forward to, really. Yeah, the big thing really is is how how f- close to full fitness, how much has he lost in the three or the two full seasons, 20, 21, 22, the three seasons there, how much is the overall performance has he lost and how much, how far off is the Honda really is the, the main questions we need answered. Now, after testing in Valencia, that one day testing, he came out and publicly said they will not win anything with that bike in its current format. And it looked pretty similar to what he finished the weekend of Valencia with, so probably nothing too... It's probably a, a, a kind of a harsh comment going into the winter to maybe rile up a few people to get stuff kind of done in the background, but you, it's Honda. Like, it is... We always talk about HRC being, like, the kings of the sport. You imagine that they'll come next year. They'll probably have a whole new front arrow. They'll probably have a different tail section. They'll probably have different swing arms. They'll have whole linkages different. They'll have so much for that bike that... It's, it'll be very strange if they still are fifth with Marquez and he looks like he's struggling and mirrors ninth and has no pace. You do expect that Dale bounce back on that really are always the ones that you go, well, they've had a bad year this year, but next year, watch out, they'll be they'll be kind of pushing for this. So I'd imagine they will come back. But uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see the whole dynamic of Marquez slightly injured, maybe not fully fit yet, and a new... 2.0 Honda. Yeah, I think it, it's definitely, obviously we've put it on the list, but it's definitely going to be one of the most interesting things. And I think we'll probably know how it's going to pan out quite early on in the season, to be fair. Some of this other stuff, we definitely have to wait, but I think we'll kind of know, maybe even before the season, kind of what's going to happen to that. But another really big talking point that we've got on this list is, will Banyaya crumble with the extra pressure? Now, we know Banyaya is prone to a mistake or two, he did work on it a bit towards the end of last year, but he still, you know, Mategi, probably prime example, made a silly mistake. But coming in with all that pressure on his shoulders as the reigning world champion, do you think he can handle it, Bill? Well, I think he'll have a... I Honestly, I think now that he's got a championship under under his belt in the GP class, I actually think that'll take a bit of pressure off. Now, the fact that... They've brought in a quicker teammate than Jack. They brought in a, another Italian, someone that he particularly doesn't seem to get on well. That will, you always kind of know when you're when you're racing against someone who's you're not particularly like you. You have an extra motivation to beat them, and then when you lose, you feel worse. So I think there'll be higher and low emotions from him. But I think he should, in theory, be a better rider this year because he's taken. If you take like his last seven or eight rounds of last year, how good he was and how consistent he was. Of course, he did have Viteghi and he had a couple of races where he kind of rode around, did not much in the races, but he did enough to get the championship. But 
you you would really hope that he's learned from like the likes of Lamont, Qatar, uh doing these kind of silly mistakes that cost him so many points and in the in the end he got away with it. But you really hope that like the likes of him, the Rossies in the world that would be kind of learning year in, year out what they need to prove on that. Surely he'll come forward next year as a maybe not complete writer, but he'll fill in a few more of the jigsaw puzzles and he'll be there more consistently. Like his pace is does nothing wrong with his pace. He seems to be a good rider in the wet. He's very, very strong over one lap. He can really get the most out of Ducati over one lap. His race pace is always one of the best, if not the best. So does nothing really performance wise he needs to improve on. It's just more the fact that there's just these small chinks in the arm of these mistakes when he gets put under some pressure. Now he has proven in the past he can do it. He was brilliant in the lower categories. He was brilliant in the motor two. He's fought Marquez at Aragon and just outclassed him many times there. But last year, for whatever reason, Enea seemed to get in his head, and when he was up against Fabio in a few situations, he just lost the plot, a few silly mistakes, and he was lucky in the end to win back his championship. I think to answer your question in a big long circle that he'll be better, but I don't know if that would be enough to beat the current field and especially his teammate. Yeah, so it's probably a quite a common point of view that I think people probably will uh, say that he'll take that in his stride of the extra championship. I disagree slightly. I think he'll actually still struggle quite a bit because, of course, like you say, you make some great points with Bastianini obviously being someone he doesn't particularly like. And when you beat someone that you dislike, you know, it feels better. When you lose to them, it feels worse, especially when they're on the same bike. You know, you can't blame anything because you're in the same team, you know, even though they were sort of on the same bike last year. Obviously, I know it was the 2021 bike for Bascianini, but he had like loads of upgrades on that made like you know all the fairing, the, all that kind of stuff. The basically the only difference was sort of like the engine at the end of the day, which in itself for Bagnai was a step closer to the 21 than what Martin had, for example. So th- there wasn't that much difference between the two bikes, but you could still he could still point at it when he when he got beaten. He's like, well, he didn't have to develop next year's bike, or you know, he just put in my settings from last year and you know went on and, and did well. Like, but now he's in the same team. Everything there's there's no excuses. So I think if he does lose to him, he dislikes him. It, it will feel worse. But I just don't think mentally he's the the strongest when it comes to these things. Like, just because we've seen it time and time again, not even just last year. We've we've seen it before. We saw when he was leading his first ever GP race, he, well, I don't know if he was, not his first ever GP race, but the first one he ever led, I believe, uh, back in 2020 at Misano. Miles clear of Vinales, loses the front and falls off on his own, crashes. Uh, obviously, then he did a similar thing the next year at Misano. Um, obviously, he wasn't miles ahead there, to be fair, but he was starting to stretch Mark Marquez. Basically, I think Marquez said at the time, it's the last half he was going to push to try and keep with him. He was basically going to give up after that. Banyaya crashed obviously under the pressure of Marquez but also knowing that he needed to win the race to keep the championship alive so again sort of crumbled there again yeah I guess maybe having the championship will help him but I, but I feel like he'll take the pressure of being the guy that needs to be beaten I feel like that'll weigh more on him than the confidence of winning a championship because even when he's won a race for example he still crashed out of the lead trying to win other ones I know that does happen but it was like under pressure like what? What was that? Like Le Mans, for example. What? What? What was that really? I mean, j- just looking at his stats from this year. I mean, like, like you say, his pace. There's no problem with his pace or anything. Great in qualifying. Great in the races. He did have a couple of poor wet weather performances, but overall, the wet weather performances were good. They were better than Fabio, for example, and that was his rival. So, that's all you need to do. Particularly, no point pushing to try and win in a wet race and high siding breaking your collarbone, being out or whatever. So. 
yeah, fair enough. He did he did the right things there. But I mean, how many races did he win? I can't even remember. But he won so many races, like so so many races, and he still almost lost. That kind of sums it up for me in a, in a way. Like his pace is great, but uh, when he when he's under pressure, he's under pressure, and usually he'll be covered in gravel rather than champagne. So. I I think he potentially could crumble, especially with, I think there'll be more riders involved this year. Obviously, there was basically just him and Fabio. Yeah, right, Aleish was kind of there, but Aleish was never really a week-in, week-out threat to Banyaya. It was always Fabio, and even Fabio most of the time wasn't. I mean, Banyaya crashed trying to beat a random guy that wasn't in the championship fight, like, half the time. I mean, I know he was kind of mathematically there, but he wasn't his main rival, so... Yeah, I th- I think he really really could struggle this season. He won eight races and DNF'd out of five, so yeah. it's, it's nearly a fifty fifty split. I uh, know to be fair, we don't a lot of times on this podcast we actually agree with most points and you disagree there. And to fairness, your points are they have um they hold water. I I can see what you said in the fact that everything builds up and that he can kind of get dig himself into a hole and put himself under too much pressure and then he cracks and becomes worse again but i still think he'll come out this year chest pumped up champion and he'll take that forward and if he if he starts the season well i think it will be very critical for him if he starts again this year with a p6 in uh, portimao and we'll say his team is on the podium and then we go to another couple of rounds and he hasn't won a race and he's still struggling to get the most out of the 23 bike or whatever. Then I could see exactly what you said there where he'll start to struggle and pressure will get to him and he could crack and he could be out of the championship before we can get to Mugello. But if he starts well, which he should have no reason why not coming in full of confidence as the 22 champion. So it'd be, it would be very interesting. The Ducati, the whole Ducati like scene at the moment is going to be very interesting we have some more to talk about later with them but at the moment you just have to think they're probably the two favorite riders of the championship they're very very similar pace wise you would just maybe tip peko having done it but then would you with the mistakes he made it's very hard but we are now going to move on from the category spent long enough at it we're going to move on to ktm now ktm recently have signed some sort of agreement to it Red Bull Racing from Formula 1 to use their Milton Keynes based aero, to pa- aero kind of package to understand more their wind tunnels and stuff like that to get a better idea of what they need to do in GP for their aero side. Now, for me, this is one of the stories that have gone under the radar this winter time and it is, in my opinion, huge. Um, Red Bull have always had amazing F1 car, I would say, in aero packages and very, very well built. They've never been the powerhouse. They've never been the Ferrari, Mercedes engine kind of manufacturer. So they've always had to make it up on trickery with the actual air and stuff. So the fact that KTM are getting a look behind the iron curtain there and a look at some serious, serious information that we could see a radically change KTM. Maybe not this year because it takes a bit of time to understand what you're looking at and put it into a physical product. So maybe for the 24 and 25 seasons, we could see... A really strong KTM but I am interested to see what they can do next year but what did you make of the news that they'd be partnering up with their neighbours Red Bull in F1? It's interesting it, it certainly makes sense uh, because I think there's been some kind of links between them before but obviously never this strong so it, it would be it, it makes sense because 
Red Bull and KTM are almost like one and the same, right? Like I know they're not; they are completely different companies, but they're both Austrian companies. They're always hand in glove, you know. Red Bull, as far as I remember, Red Bull have always sponsored KTM, basically as long as I've existed, as long as I've seen any kind of motorsport. Red Bull have always sponsored KTM, so you know, and they're obviously from the same country, they are really hand in glove. So it, it does make a lot of sense that this deal takes place. Now, I don't know whose wind tunnel they used before. Did they have their own? Or I'm not really sure on that, to be honest. But using an F1 team's wind tunnel, that's definitely going to help them out quite a lot because that's definitely going to be set up 100% correctly. I'm not sure exactly how it works. Obviously, they get the tunnel. Do they get any kind of help? Maybe they do. I mean, it's a smart idea from Red Bull because, obviously, if you don't watch F1, you might not know this, but there's, there's now from like last year basically for the first time there's been restrictions on like how much they can use their wind tunnels and stuff for the actual development of their cars so there's a lot of time where it's not unused that's now going unused because they can't use it anymore because the rules said they can't so to rent it out or allow ktm to use it definitely makes a lot of sense it's a really good idea and i think that probably maybe they can get some of their staff in and have a look because i think technically that they might be allowed to do that because it's not actually to do with developing the f1 car or anything I'm not sure exactly whether that will be the case. I mean, I'm sure, uh, sure they'd probably want Nui to have a look at the, look at the bike, see what he could do with it. But uh, yeah, it, I I think it could make a difference. But it's one of those things where like aero is super important in MotoGP, but also KTM. I think they're lacking in other areas that are holding them back more than aero. I mean, look at Yamaha for example. They virtually have no aero. I know the bike is kind of bad, like because you know Fabio's anyone that's there, but. Fabio is still there week in, week out at the front. And, you know, to an extent, I don't want to, like, hype him up too much, but KTM do have their own Quattararo in a way with Binder. And Binder is not there week in, week out. And I don't think that's because of the arrow. So, yeah, I think it will make some difference, but I don't think it will turn them around because I think their bike is the problem, not the arrow on it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and just to put into perspective how advanced F1 is, usually the term that was thrown out is that Formula 1 is usually about 20 years ahead in development of technology than the bikes. Um, a lot of things you would see in the late 90s were up and coming and the new tech going on to, we'll say, the late McLarens of the era and the early Ferraris of the 2000s. Stuff like that, the kind of trickery and engine and the kind of uh, exhaust and sort of that. That's only really making its way to the GP now in the last couple of maybe last five years, we'd say. So if KTM could learn something in terms of aero to go forward, they could get a massive step forward. Now, I do agree that you don't look at KTM and go, oh, Jesus, their aero is the worst on the grid. If they have the best chassis and engine, it's not just going to put them from 15th every week to 3rd. It'll take a lot more. But the fact that they're getting a big help with like that sort of stuff is going to be worth so much to them. You'd wonder if people might start protesting this if they come out with such a radical aero design that you could see maybe some protests from other manufacturers. You always know the Japanese are really anti-aero. They just don't like it. Uh, they kind of really they copy everyone else's and throw it on. If you look at it, you would say currently Ducati and Aprilia are the kind of the front runners in that field, and KTM probably not far behind the two Italians, but they're definitely ahead of the Japanese at the moment. But this could be very very big for them if they can get the the bike working and a whole new aero system that works better. Their engine is already incredibly powerful and seems to be pretty good. So they have the riders, they have the facilities, they have the money. Definitely with Red Bull. I think 
KTM are the by far the most rich uh, manufacturer in GB, so they can definitely throw it at it, and they can definitely make it work if they kind of get their heads down, and I think they will. And I, I do like KTM, so I actually really hope that this partnership at Red Bull Racing does take them further up the field. Yeah, I th- I think it could it could help them. Obviously, like I said, yeah, I don't think the error is a big problem, but. Yeah, if they did stop making gains all of a sudden, you bet the others would be complaining. Ducati would be on the phone to Ferrari straight away, I think, if they uh, <laughs> if they start doing uh, start being the Ducatis. But speaking of Ducatis, the next thing we've got on the list is actually the older Ducatis. So what I mean by that, really, is the, the guys on GP22. So effectively, for this year, well, for 2022, just to explain it, there were, there were five of the GP22 bike and three of the GP21 bike. You know, four of them, two for Banyara Miller, two for Zarco and Martin, and then there was one for Marini, and the GP21s were for Bezzecchi, Di Giantonio, and Bascianini. Those were how the bikes were distributed. But this year, you only got the t- GP23, which is obviously the 2023 bike, in the factory and Pramac teams. VR46 and Grassini have got the GP22. So I think we might see a similar situation. Than we did last year with Bastianini, for example. Start of the season, won the first race where Banyai was struggling because he was on the older bike. The older bike already dialed in, had great settings for Qatar already that they sorted out. You know, all this different stuff. They got a year's worth of data for that bike. I know, you know, they do make differences and that the changes are sometimes minor, but even the smallest change, the data is now slightly wrong. So all that data they've got from the 2022 bike and all the bikes they had running it as well because they had five of them. There's lots of the data. I think we might see some really, really cool stuff. But I don't know what you, you think, but I think from the Grassini boys and the VR46 boys, we could see some surprising performances. Yeah, I, I put my money on Bezeki early in the championship to have some very good results. Obviously, last year he was immensely quick on a, a pretty well-developed bike, you could say, but he surprised a lot of people. He even had like, a Casey Stoner kind of bigging him up, saying that... like. You can just see that he's a good rider from watching. We don't need to see the lap times or see the split times or whatever. You just can tell that he's just a good overall rider. And I think going into his second year now, if he makes a step as a rider, same way kind of we say Bastianini did in his second year last season, he could be a top five man on that Ducati early. Now, it's always the way if you go back to kind of 2016, 2017, when Tech 3, Yamaha always started the season very quick with Zarco and... You had Brady Smith up there sometimes at the start of the season, and you had Folger. There was just every every start of the season, the first it was usually up till about Magello Le Mans time that the second tier Yamahas were equally as quick. Now, usually in the race, by the end of the race, the likes of Rossi and Lorenzo and Maverick would just kind of their extra pace or just kind of get them the result, but. For the most part, the or the Tech Three Yamahas were almost almost as quick as them, if sometimes not quicker in some races. So, it is a trend we see a lot in GP. It's something you don't see really in any other forms of motorsport because of the the kind of two aspects of two different uh, machines from one manufacturer. So it's always an interest interesting dynamic if you look at the start of the season where the older bikes are technically still a bit quicker because they're dialed, whereas the new ones with slightly higher ceiling have just a little bit of uh, earning out to do. So. The likes of Marini and Bezeki would be my two men that I think maybe could have a very good start to the season. I would say maybe Alex Marcus too, but the fact that he's a rookie on the bike, I think that would just take away the 1 or 2% he'd need to be quick enough to make it look like the older bike is quicker. I reckon he'll do well on that bike, but I think 
maybe as the season go on he'll find form but it'll probably kind of uh, cross the line at the same time that the 23 bike becomes quicker so it might look like he's not making progress I could see that happening with him this year and uh, overall though it's the VR46 men that I'm keeping my eye on just because they have the older developed bike they had good season last year so if they make a step the two of them if the team makes a step again they are a very young team growing so I could see some big things early in the season next year from them yeah I definitely agree especially VR46 point of view because you know that they've worked with Ducati for a year now I mean so Grassini but obviously DJ Antonio we didn't mention him maybe he could you know sort of make a step as well because of course, he was on a GP21 last year in a team that he knows. He's actually getting a new crew chief as as well. I think he had problems with his crew chief this year, so potentially that might help him. That really could turn things around for him because, you know, it does make a big change for some riders. So Digi Antonio obviously will be one to watch, but I think the VR46 team are going to the main guys, especially Marini, because Marini's got a Morbidelli situation now. Morbidelli 2019 was on the 2019 Yamaha, 2020 was on the 2020 uh, 2019 Yamaha, 2021 was on the 2019 Yamaha. He was on the same bike for three years. Uh, it's not quite three years, obviously it's only going to be two for Marini. Well, I'm sure he hopes it's only going to be two, but I think just having the same bike, he could just continually make progress. You know, he could literally stick his settings in from the year before and they will be the exact same because it's the same bike. You know, you know, all this stuff, it's it's important. And he was really starting to make some progress as well towards the end of last season. We were seeing him up there. He was the only Ducati rider to not get a pole position, I believe. But he did get some good results. He's getting sort of consistent top five, top sixes towards the end of the year. And if he makes another step with the combined factor that usually the older bikes do perform a little bit better at the start of the season, we, we could definitely see him up there. But Zeki, like you say, obviously he's clearly a fantastic rider. Kind of similar rookie season to Bashanini in a way that, like, towards the end, he was really starting to show some signs of promise. And if he could, you know, make that step like Bashanini did, he could be right up there. Now, I don't think his rookie season was probably quite as good because I think he crashed a few too many times, probably. But to be fair, as a rookie, that's got how you got to learn. As long as you don't get injured, I suppose. At the end of the day, a crash doesn't matter too much, especially in your rookie season. You're not fighting for the championship; you just get an experience. So, you know, you got to find that limit somehow. But I actually think that Alex Marquez as well in the Grassini team will probably be a little bit better than uh, than we think because it's almost that factor that he gets off the Honda, he gets onto this bike, it's just going to feel amazing to him. It's just going to feel so good to him. He's going to be riding it around and it's just going to be, it's one of those things where when it comes easy to a rider, they're just fast because it's just, they're not worried. You know, Alex Marquez is a Moto2 champion uh, at the end of the day. I'm Moto3 champion, so I think that is often forgotten. And I think I just think the factor of jumping from such a bad bike to such a good bike makes a big difference. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Vinales jumping from the Suzuki to the Yamaha. Now, the 2016 Suzuki, don't get me wrong, was a pretty good bike, right? It wasn't bad. But the Yamaha was still so much better. He jumped on that. He was just so fast on it immediately. Things obviously did fall apart afterwards. But just that initial factor of, oh, this bike is so good. You know, it, it's such an improvement. Almost like sort of Morbidelli as well when he jumped from the Honda to the Yamaha, you know, he was pretty quick straight away. So, yeah, I, I think we definitely could see some some good stuff from both the Grassini riders, but I think, yeah, I, I agree that probably it will be more the VR46 guys that we're looking out for at the start of the season. To be fair, you make a very, very strong point there for the Alex Marquez jumping from a bad bike to a good bike. That is something I didn't think of. It's a, it's a, it's a dynamic that we, we really should keep an eye on him for next year because he had so many positive things to say for that kind of one day test he did he was saying that like oh it was he, he he was just so happy that 
and he was gone from Honda as a company, gone from that bike. And like there's there's a lot of stories coming out about how when he was in the factory Repsol team, they had support there from they had the kind of all the engineers around him trying to get the bike working from him. As soon as he went down and they were putting him back into the LCR team, it just slowly the taps started being shut off. He stopped getting as much feedback and as support. And his results show that he crashed most weeks. Not for the lack of trying. I guarantee he was on the limit everywhere and he was trying his best and it was just one of those things he was just the bike wasn't working for him he wasn't getting any support the bike wasn't very good and now he gets on to like you said really well dialed into catty he's a bigger rider as well he's he's quite tall so i imagine he'll actually probably fit the ducati more ergonomical and it'll just be probably a very good relationship from the start to be he'd be he'd be kind of a dark horse next year i don't really know what he can achieve and i don't think anyone does but i reckon he'd surprise a few next year because he is very very underrated people forget how good he was in motor 3 when he got up to speed how good he was in motor 2 when he got up to speed and uh, he does take a couple of seasons to figure it out and find his feet but he's had that now in a really bad honda he's had some good results on them bikes so i imagine now that he's kind of gotten a golden ticket for a ducati seat we could see something quite special but we're going to move on now to our next point sprint races 2023 we're going to have one extra race every weekend at every track we go to in the 2023 season it's something that has come from f1 it's been in a superbikes for a few years so what you make of sprint races for gp should we have stuck to one race of a sunday at two o'clock or are you welcoming the shorter more entertaining races that they promise it's I'm a bit torn because I do like kind of how, you know, MotoGP, like obviously I, I like the sort of historic element to it sometimes. It's always been this way, you know, it's always been the, the one race on the Sunday afternoon. But to be honest, I'm quite looking forward to it. I, I can't lie. And I, I know that, you know, there's arguments for the riders and pe- people, you know, dislike it. But for, for my personal opinion, like the fan point of view, I'm quite looking forward to it. Because if you watch World Superbikes, the sprint race is usually the best race of the weekend every time. Because everybody can go for it. You can kind of make the difference. If your bike is not quite there, you know, if your bike chews up the tyres a bit, you can make the difference in the sprint race because you're not going to run out of tyre in 10 laps. I, I think the MotoGP ones are 50% distance, so they are slightly longer. So it's not going to be quite the same thing. Obviously, some of them will be like sort of 10, like might be like 12 laps or something like that. So it's, it's close to 10. But I mean, you get longer tracks, like obviously, like Saxon Ring, for example, you're getting off like a 15 lapper. So. They are like quite a bit longer than the World Superbike sprint races, but even still, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be an interesting dynamic. I, like I hope it doesn't like affect the championship in too much of a way. Like I hope like you know someone doesn't get like injured or like there's not like some stupid like bike failure in like a a sprint race or like a stupid penalty that ends up deciding the championship because that would feel a little bit like you know like oh if we just had a normal championship this wouldn't have happened. But I I think it, I think it really could change things up and i think it just it kind of rewards consistency obviously that there is that that factor that you know if there's a track that's overpowered for a certain bike it gives them two chances to get points i know it's not full points but you know you're looking at like red bull ring or whatever with the ducati that's like you know and there's not really other the other manufacturers don't always have tracks like that so like maybe you can say oh it's one race a season doesn't matter but when it's like now one and a half times the points available it it, it could shake things up i'm sure there will be complaints but i think purely from a racing point of view i think it will be quite a good spectacle i think there'll be some riders that really like it some riders don't 
I think Martin, for example, will be really good in the sprint races because how many times have we seen him lead races and then either drop back or crash? You know, there's not enough time for him to do either of those things, so maybe he could actually compete at the front. Uh, to be fair, maybe even the Amaha to some extent. I mean, they have in the past had troubles with tyres towards the end of the races, so maybe for like the more Bedelli riding style on the Amaha, the sprint races might help. I do like the... Well, actually, I don't really know how I feel about it. I think it's interesting that they've gone about it slightly differently to all the other sprint races. So, obviously, like you mentioned, F1 and World Superbikes. Both of those sprint races affect the grid for the next race. But for MotoGP, that's not the case. I think that's good because if you get knocked off in a sprint race, for example, you then don't start at the back of the grid. You know, or if you have a, a failure or something, you'd start where you qualified. But also, I'd like to have seen it, you know, how would people approach it if, if there's a grid position on, you know, for grabs. Like, for example, the likes of Morbidelli. You know, he may as well let the break off because if he's starting near the back in the sprint, he might want to get himself up further up the grid in the for the main race. And we've seen his race pace has not been too bad. Mate, you know, these Yamaha riders, well, I suppose there's only going to be two of them next year, but probably Morbidelli then really is going to be the one that's starting towards the back. He might be able to make the difference. So it would have been interesting to see that. But overall, to be fair, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to them. I think they'll just, just spice things up. Perhaps it would have been better to maybe have just started off like a few races a bit like f1 have done that that's probably the only gripe i really do have with it like i don't know if i really want to see it every race straight away i'd like to see it play out a few times first but i i still think it'll be good and i think it'll definitely help the tracks bring more fans because for us obviously we're mad about mogp we're making podcasts about it we're going to watch every every lap of qualifying every lap of the free practice three whatever you know on a saturday but your casual fans are not interested in that and also the TV viewership, I suppose. So the track and the TV, you know, casual fans don't care about qualifying probably to some extent, or maybe we'll just catch the end of Q2. Whereas now there's a race for them to watch and they'll watch that on the Saturday. So I think it's going to make a difference and it'll even have a knock-on effect onto Friday because the format's slightly different there too. So I can only really, really see good things from the sprint races. I'm a bit more sceptical than you, to be honest. Um, I agree with the points where I... I... I kind of am in the same aspect of that. I love the way the like the current GP schedule is the same as it has been since like Schwantz and Rainey and like Mamola's days in the late 80s. It, not really as much to change. The technology on track has, the safety has improved. It's still Friday, Saturday, we race on Sunday. And for what a kind of... I'm probably old school in that sense that I don't really want to see that change. Now, I am open-minded. We'll see what it does. But I actually think that this is probably a bad time for GP to go to the sprint races. I was just thinking there when you were talking about like how like so maybe Marbidelli could make something for himself in the if it was for qualifying positions or how Harge Martin could get a get himself some actual good races because of this. But as you will well know, I've lately been watching a lot of races on YouTube since we have no racing in real life. And I've been watching 2004, 2005, 2007 season. The racing back then was just so much closer and better for the most part. Now when you get to the last like six, seven laps, there's huge gaps ever. But the early laps, there's so many passes, riders qualifying not well. In the current day, MotoGP, it isn't the World Super Spike racing kind of we have grown used to with the Johnny Rays, the top racks, and Bautista, where there's 18 laps and there's three passes in every lap. So we're kind of spoiled in Superbike. So I reckon it could kind of flop in some way that the racing won't be as good. And it could be just a 10 lap kind of fp4 where nobody can overtake um harga martin qualified third first into turn one and he just goes around eight laps and that's it i kind of have some doubts that it won't work as well as 
again going back to the front I always loved Friday they get their feet Saturday morning they refine Saturday afternoon they take all the fuel out stick in super glue on the tyres and they just go for hell for later and just go 150% to show what they can do over one lap then Sunday they rail it back a small bit and then they go for 25 laps it was just I like that format I've always liked it um, I haven't really liked the sprint races in F1 to be honest kind of for the same aspect that F1 currently isn't in a great spot for racing. Um, the sprint races kind of are a bit dull. They don't really add anything to the weekend. They just kind of change up the schedule, make it a bit more confusing. Now, of course, they change the grid, but it it rarely it rarely works in the way that it's it was kind of advertised to be. Where like, oh, we could have a really mixed up grid because of the sprint race. It's usually like the likes of a Pierre Gasly could be three places lower or higher. It's it's never like that. Lewis is sixteenth or Max is fourth when he could have been on pole, it, it, it's just, it's, on paper, it looked good for them, it doesn't really work in practical, and I feel like GP could be in that aspect, I think GP are looking too much at Superbikes, and thinking, like you said, one of the best race of the weekend is the Super Bowl race, it's just so entertaining, because the likes of Johnny Ray doesn't have the bike for 25 laps, he can do it over 9, uh, Top Rack can do straight out of blocks, Bautista looks like when the fuel load comes off he starts to speed up so there's a kind of a crossover point for the three of them in that sport that this is where they're strong this is where they're weak and as the sprint race kind of goes right we'll take all of them off the table just go for it for nine laps of Aragon or whatever it may be with GP I'm still skeptical that it'll work and I, I really agree with you and the fact you said I'd hoped it was kind of maybe six races this year maybe like a trailer Hareth and we could maybe do an Asin or a, a Saxon ring or something like that. But like the fact it's every weekend, it's going to be... If this doesn't work, it's going to kind of ruin the enjoyment of the 23 season. But um, yeah, that's all I have to say about sprint races. Yeah, fair enough. You do make some good points there, I suppose. that um, Obviously, it's not the same as World Super Bikes, is it? And yeah, the racing has been a bit more dull. I think, that, I think this is why they've sort of snapped and done it, because the racing was kind of bad this year if we're, if we're being honest it wasn't that great um i think it'll be better with the front right height devices gone but we'll have to see obviously they've still got the rear ones but i think uh, it got significantly worse it seems with the uh, the front ones so now that they're gone maybe it will be a little bit better but we'll move on to the next point now then and this one is not actually necessarily so much about the motor gp class itself but it obviously does link into it for 2024 who will step up from Moto2 and where will they go? So obviously we've got some young stars in Moto2, probably, you know, most known is Acosta and Lopez. They could really go for it next year. You know, who, who do you think is going to sort of get snapped up? You know, who's going to snap them up? Because obviously there's a lot of really good riders in MotoGP right now. Like, I can't really think of anybody that you think, ah, oh, yeah, we'll definitely sack them off. So if, you know, if a team wants to take a gamble on a Moto2 rider, we, we could see a, a high-profile MotoGP rider out, out and maybe off to Superbikes. I can see Nakagami in his last year. I can see uh, Augusto Fernandez only lasting one year. Uh, I can see Digi going next year. Now, I, the three riders I just mentioned there were three riders that I could easily see getting the chop. Not because I think they're not good enough or I dislike them or that they're not doing a good enough job. I just think that it's so cutthroat at the moment in the sport. We saw what happened to Remy and Igor Ocone the year before Remy Gardner, that is how they were given six races, seven races, and the fact that they weren't in the points, they were like looking for next talent coming up. Uh, this is probably one of my biggest gripes at the moment with KTM. I do love a lot of the stuff that they do and how they approach the sport, but the fact that they are almost expecting people to be winning 
within their first like season or getting podiums or getting into Q2 immediately. They don't seem to have that idea that like we need to wait for these guys to have two, three years. Like Equal Ocona should still be on the t- and the gas gas this year, if that would if you make sense. He shouldn't be in Superbikes. Now he's actually an amazing addition to Superbikes. I really like him there because he just looks so good on the Honda in Superbikes. But going back to his GP, no, he kind of moved up a bit early. But his pace was there. He was fighting Rossi for top tens in Mugello. There was just so much going on that like that year that gave him another year. He might have been able to make something of it. Now the KTM looks like it's kind of gone backwards in twenty twenty two. So maybe he might have struggled. But I don't think promoting two more rookies to replace him and Petrucci was the option. So I think they're, they're the way they sign riders is an issue. But to go back to the question, who could I see coming up from Moto Two? Ayagora is nearly nailed on once he doesn't have a really bad season or injure himself or does something stupid in my opinion he's nailed on to replace nakagami probably pedro costa wins the Moto two championship comes up and replaces augusto i could see that happening um i could see that really easily happening to be honest maybe not him winning the championship easily but i could really easily see augusto getting by asking him being out of a job which would be a shame um but it's it's they've done it before they've done they will do it again in the future the likes of lopez Firmino Alaguer, fietti jake dixon i don't really see anywhere for them to go is the is the issue with them not that they're not good enough i think some of them could be ready i think jake dixon if he had a strong 23 season you i actually would like to see him on a gb bike for 24 yeah he showed that he, he's well able when he did that silver sun wild card for a place um Who's he replacing then? Davi like, or it was like Morbidelli, wasn't it? Because it was like that period where Vinales had got like sacked, and yeah, Morbidelli yeah, was yeah. still like injured, wasn't he? It was like a really weird. He just had no riders basically. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah he did a bit of a mess at that point. He did quite well when he came up, and he showed a good bit of pace. So I definitely think he'd actually be a nice fit, and again, it'd be good for the Brits to be back in the Premier class. So. There's only two riders that I could be confident that would be in GP in 24 that are on the current Motor 2 grid. Um, there's a few more. You could say maybe Canis. He's been there a while, but I don't know if he has the outright pace and the consistency. Um, there's a couple of riders like that. I think Lopez needs at least one year, one full season and go from there. I, t- I don't know if he'll... See, the issue with Lopez isn't Lopez himself. It's more the Bosco score chassis. I don't see that being a title contender over full season against the, K- the Calixes and the likes of the Ayagoras in his team for the second year um, for now, um, Pedro Costa staying with the same team again same bike so it's going to be hard for him to do that again over full season now he was immensely quick but we'll see there's a, there's a lot of talent in Moto3 Moto2 that are trying to get into MotoGP but there's a massive backlog there's so many riders and there's so little seats uh, losing two to Suzuki was a big loss because it's just taken up two different seats elsewhere now so it's, it's going to be hard to fit them all in but i definitely see iagora and acosta would be my two that i'd nearly guarantee you'll be on the 24 grid i gotta say I, I fairly agree with you to be fair especially about the three riders that uh will probably be most likely to leave obviously i know i said i couldn't really think of any but like i know those three kind of would be the most likely but then i was also thinking you know if Acosta, for example, everyone knows he's a special talent. Maybe he's seen what's happened at KTM, doesn't want to ride for them. You know, Factory Honda won him or something. You know, they get rid of Mir for him. You know, I, I kind of think something like that's possible. Depends how these seasons go. I mean, we know what Factory Honda are like. If Mir doesn't have a good season, 
they might very well go and sign Pedro Acosta instead. Um, I think Iagora is pretty much nailed on. I think, to be fair, had he won the championship this year, they probably would have um, moved him up already, but because he just missed out. I can't really see him winning it next year, to be fair, either against Acosta, unfortunately, but I guess never say never. But I think, yeah, Agora definitely probably nailed on for that uh, that improvement. I could actually see Lopez potentially getting snapped up. I think he'd be a great signing for somebody like Grassini Ducati. Um, because, you know, if, if Digi has another season like he did last year, he's, not, he's probably not going to keep the job. But I feel like Lopez would be a great signing for a satellite team like that because he just seems like... It seems like the bigger bikes suit him, that's for sure. Um, obviously, he's jumped into that Bosco Scuro. Again, I kind of see it a little bit like the Grassini team. It's kind of one of those teams where it's a good team, you know, like obviously the people there are pretty good, but maybe the equipment's not quite as good as some of the top riders. Obviously, they're on an older bike. You know, it's a bit like the Bosco Scuro against the Calyx. I, I don't know. I just, for some reason, get the vibe that he'd fit really well there. So I feel like he could be a dark horse to definitely go to like Grassini or something like that because I actually think he can. Um, do a title campaign on the Bosco Scuro because one, I think that bike is better than people make out it is because it, especially the last two seasons, it's made a bit of a step. I, I think especially the last season made a bit of a step. But two, he was competitive everywhere. He missed the first few rounds of the season, but once he started performing at like Assen, he was up there every weekend after that. There's so many different types of tracks, you know, in that period of time. You know, he was competitive at hard braking track like Mategi, for example. He almost won the, like, you know, he was in contention to win the race there. He dominated at a sweeper like Phillip Island. You know, those are completely opposite tracks. He was competitive at both of them. I think the sweeper tracks, like, you know, the, the high speed, the corner speed tracks definitely suit it better. Obviously, we saw him really good at Assen. That's another one of those tracks. Silverstone, another one of those tracks. But I think he's shown that he can do it everywhere. So I'd be surprised to uh, if he didn't. I was trying to think what he did at Sepang, but I think he got knocked off at, like, the second corner or something like that there. So... Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, so he didn't do that well at that circuit. But I, th- I think overall, I think he really could do something special. So I think, yeah, Agora definitely moving up. Um, I think if Acosta wins the championship, most likely moving up. But I actually think he might try and get out of KTM because you've seen the way that they've treated the young riders. You don't really want to be another one of those. I feel like his management's smart enough to see that. The bike isn't that good either. I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to go to Honda, but I was just saying, for example, Honda might want to sign him. But... You know, there's going to be a spot of Yamaha, I'm fairly certain. So I think because of the way the contracts line up, there's going to be some seats available. So I think Costa's definitely got a good chance. And I think Lopez has got a pretty good chance. But yeah, it is hard to see anybody else. Jake Dixon, maybe, obviously did mention Dixon. And obviously whoever signs them will get support from Dorna because they they want a British guy in the MotoGP. It's, it's in the BT Sport contract, I think, that there's supposed to be one, as far as I'm aware. So... I, they'll be desperate to try and get a British rider in there somehow. So maybe he could move up onto a Gas Gas bike. I mean, he's already with Gas Gas. There's that relationship there. So, you know, maybe... I, I kind of feel bad for Augusto Fernandez because I, I kind of... I, I see the way they treat the riders. I feel like he might be at risk already, even though he's not even turned a wheel in a race yet. So, yeah. But uh, but maybe he could go there. There could be a spot there. Or maybe Paul moves up to the, the, you know, the Red Bull KTM team or something. I, I don't know what's going to happen exactly, but I feel like they will might try and make a slot for him somewhere. So we could get a, a few more rookies this year, whereas we didn't really, we only got one uh, for, for this year, for 2023. Here's a wild card before we move on. Go Rossi on. is more than likely going to take two Yamahas in the next two or three seasons after them losing the RNF sponsorship. 
He's more than likely not going to put Luca Marini on Ayama. I could see Luca being replacing Zarko. Zarko goes to Superbikes. Morbidelli stays with Yamaha but goes down to the VR46 squad alongside Bezeki. Makes a space Yamaha. Toprak comes across. Or Pedro Costa signs for Factory Yamaha. Oh, there we go. Have to say that comes to. It, that's it's a shout. It's a good shout. To be fair, I mean, yeah, the VR46 thing. We will see how it works because obviously, if they are now being given slightly worse equipment by Ducati, you know, with the older bikes, they might not take that. Rossi's probably got the clout to get two factory bikes off Yamaha. If we're being honest, so yeah, I actually that's it's not as wild as it sounds. I I I could see that there is a universe where that's going to happen. Whether that's this one, I don't know. But that's that's actually not a bad shout. To be fair. Right, wildcard side. Let's move on to our eight point of podcast. Can Aprilia make another step? Reese, take it away. What's your opinions? It's hard. It's really hard to say because they've kind of made steps every year, but this one they made a huge step, right? Because they still were like in twenty twenty one, they made quite a big step. Because if we twenty twenty and before, they were bat markers every season, right? They might have been slightly closer some weekends, but they were on the whole. You know the Aprilia, haha, <laughs> yeah, that's gonna that's gonna get a podium this year, sure it is. If maybe if it's a, a wet to flag to flag or something, but in 2021 they got their first podium. 2022 they got their first win. So again, it's the KTM style progression, but maybe they'll hit that same roadblock. We have seen firsthand about the concessions. When you lose the concessions, the progress does slow down significantly. So I think it would be unreasonable to accept this, uh, expect the same sort of step as they have the last couple of years, it will be a smaller step. Whether that's still enough, the bike was very, very good. I think the Aprilia of 2022 was probably a better bike relative than the KTM in 2020, for example. The 2020 season was weird, so it probably flattered the KTM a bit more, whereas this was more of a normal year. I know there were still some weird circumstances to it, but the Aprilia was genuinely quick. So, yeah, I think they can make another step, but not as big of one, so it does depend what the other fa- manufacturers do, because I think losing your concessions is a genuine disadvantage, because you're not used to working with those resources, whereas Ducati, they've not had concessions for years, so they know how to make the most out of, you know, the amount of testing they have, the amount of tyres they have, whether they can use their actual riders or not, whereas Aprilia are not used to that, so they may fall back a little compared to where they are in 2022, but I don't think they're going to like go back to, like, before that, I don't think they're going to be a bottom runner again. Yeah, I just see them... Like, this year, their biggest issue this year wasn't that the bike wasn't competitive in the second half of the season. It was just a lack of upgrades that came. Yamaha made a step relatively to the rest of the pack. Ducati obviously came forward and got their 22 bike dialed in, got everyone happy on it. And going forward... I just see Aprilia struggling to make that gap like they did this year. I I hope that over the off season, um, they can find some sort of pace. I think Alesh was pretty unhappy at the end of last year in the test because he's like, we have literally nothing to test. I'm riding around on the bike I finished the Grand Prix with. Or well, they didn't finish the race with, but it was the, the race bike essentially um, of the previous week. So he was quite unhappy with the fact that they had very little coming through. Um, Put on top of that the concessions, they have even less money, less time, less resources to be allocated to the project. It's going to be really tough. I could see maybe 22 being a high point, 23 they take a chunk backwards, and then 24 they come back with maybe not as far as 22's level. 
Um, I think if they struggled to develop a bike throughout the 22 season with all the concessions taken away, they're going to probably struggle a lot. And they they are a small outfit. They're probably not the best funded in the grid. And the only the only saving grace is the RNF Aprilia team. You have two very strong riders in Miguel Oliveira and Raul Fernandez. Two extra riders data, two extra riding style, two extra just overall results to look at. Um, that will just take away some of the disadvantages of losing concession, having doubled the data. Obviously, you still have uh, Salvador testing, so that'll be five riders on their bike throughout the season. So overall, I'd imagine they'll take a small step back, but probably maybe still a podium threat at some tracks. Yeah, I think we seem to have fairly similar opinions. I think it probably is going to be a bit of a tougher season for them because we've we've seen it in recent history. A manufacturer makes a step in a season, and then you know everyone expects them to keep moving forward, but you know it doesn't quite happen. But I think the RNF team will be important because I think that's two riders there that could be future factory riders. I mean, Alicia isn't going to be around forever, so you know I mean Vinales isn't the youngest guy either. But if he doesn't perform well, I mean he could be out as well. But Alicia definitely is close to retirement age, so you know they are going to need a proper replacement for him in the factory team so i think those two riders could make the difference and you know maybe we might have the factor of all oh, this bike is so much easier to ride than the last one because also they both just jumped off the ktm so i guess uh i guess we'll have to wait to find out but moving on to the ninth point then we've got ran down here will the japanese fight back obviously the japanese manufacturers the only two that are left now honda and yamaha because suzuki have left the sport unfortunately They've had a rough couple of years. Obviously, I know Yamaha won the 2021 championship, but you ignore Fabio, they've had a rough couple of years, right? So, what do you think, Dill? Do you think they can fight back? Is there anything they can do? You take Marcus out of Honda, take Fabio out of Yamaha, they've been the worst two manufacturers since... Probably since they've changed to the uh, standalone ECU, the Magnani Morelli. Um, they've been very... Maybe. Yeah, I think... Because 16, 17, just, they were okay. 16, 17, Yamaha was still strong under Rossi and Vinales. Rossi learns of Rossi Vinales. Then as if... So we'd say 18 numbers, yeah, when everyone kind of got up to speed. They've probably been arguably... Like, Yamaha came out and made a public apology to the riders of how bad their bike was in 2018 in Austria. Nobody but Marcus could ride a 2019, 2021 Honda, 22 Honda still to that fact. They signed Lorenzo and he retired halfway through the season. That's how bad their bike was. Injured himself, broke a load of bones, wiped his hands with the sport when he was still at a high level. And I reckon if he was on a good competitive package, he still could have been a very, very quick rider. And bring on all the aero, they're not, they don't buy into the aero at all. The fact that their, that their 21 bike or 20 bike was played with air until they like changed it last like one hour. I think hour it of the was test. the 20. I think the Qatar test, they uh, they had like this weird error. If you remember seeing the the, the release shots, you know, like the, the events they did the presentation, the bike was really weird. And then they just swapped back to the 2019 era, literally, yeah, like a lot of the half last hour of the test. Yeah, that's the one. And that saved them from going down a terrible route in that season. Obviously, it still ended up the same because of what happened. But the fact that they don't really put anything, any emphasis into Aero, 
Yamhard the same. Their, their arrow is basic at best. Um, it, it looks like this season just gone. Or maybe a bit more of a conscious effort was made by Honda, but it was actually worse. It sounded like the arrow wasn't any better, um, even though they tried to make it. So I just don't think they have that kind of. They can execute it the way the Italians and just the other teams can. Their engine for Honda is still strong. It'll always be quick. Whether it has the right ability out of the corner, I don't know because rear grip has always been a premium. And it kind of lately, rear grip is kind of what the main issues with the Japanese bikes are. They have a lot of entry lack of rear grip. They have a lot of exit lack of rear grip. Um, it's one of those things that you never hear Ducati saying, oh, I had no entry grip or I had no exit grip because the things are just on rails. So whether is that them not getting the most out of the ECU package or whether they just don't have the bike glued to the ground with the aero, the conventory tunnels that the Ducati have going along the bottom of the fairing, it, it just seems like that. Uh, the lack of rear grip they complain about isn't actually a lack of rear grip, it's just a lack of aero downforce compared to a Ducati when they're on track with them. And that's why they think they have amazingly no rear grip all the time. Um there's some riders that are special, your Fabios, your Marks, that can bridge the gap and do special things at special times, but there's very few riders in history that can win championships of this competitiveness on bikes or that poor. Both teams need, well, for me, Yamaha needs a serious engine upgrade and a serious aero upgrade. I think that, I think the aero can fix a lot of their issues with rear traction. I think if they have a better balanced bike, then again, more rear grip usually means the bike doesn't turn as well. It usually inherently means you lose a bit of front end feel. Um, you you would look at Ducati and say the fact that they are so good out of the corner, they do still give a bit of time away on corner exit and the first release of the brake and touch of the throttle, the bike doesn't turn as well as a an Aprilia or a Yamaha. But then again, you'll never have a bike that has amazing rear grip, amazing entry grip, turns like a inline four, the power of a V four and everything in between you will always have weaknesses and strong points and for yamaha especially they just need to take a small bit off their weaknesses and just make the bike slightly more all-rounded just so it can race it's still quick over the one lap when you have clear open track honda for me are a bit more of a puzzle it's not so simple for them i don't think because they have a very confusing front end for their riders they don't seem to have any good rear grip the bike isn't any particular area where you go, oh, well, the Honda has its amazing area on the brakes. The Honda's always used to be very good in the kind of tight 92 corners where they can make it a V. They brake a little bit deeper, they'd square it off and get out. They don't seem to be able to do that as much anymore. So I think Honda have kind of got lost in their style. They don't really know what they're trying to do. And it kind of shows that Marcus couldn't even pull it to a good result or two this year. So... I expect them to make some radical changes and come back, but I think we're all kind of been saying this about Yama for years. We're expecting something, we're expecting something, but we don't really get much. The riders are always kind of gone, well, it's slightly different to last year's bike, but it still feels the same, and the lap time is within half a tenth every lap. So, it get, will we? Maybe. I'd, I'd, I'd expect Honda more to fight back than Yamaha. I think Yamaha will Yamaha always stick to their traditions of small adjustment, not to redevelop it, just to refine it and that's kind of outdated now like i think we were, were talking amongst ourselves there recently that if you look at the 2004 yamaha that rossi jumped on back in february of 2004 it's a pang it's not a million miles off what fabio's on now it's still put him alongside you can still see the blueprint whereas if you look at the rc211v compared to the current honda 
they're very very radically different but there's going to be a lot of work need to be done over the winter that's just gone and the early test of the season yeah i think there's more motivation for honda to improve because yamaha whilst it's incorrect to say they can argue this they're still winning so what do they need to change they almost won the championship again they won it the year before so they could probably sit there on their laurels and say ah well their bike is good but Honda haven't won for such a long time and that they had such a poor season, they probably do have a bit more fire to improve. But all the talk about the arrow and the rear grip and stuff, I, I think, I, I was just thinking what you, whilst you were saying it, to be honest, just based on what you were saying, I think maybe, yeah, they kind of have that problem, but they're trying to fix it in the wrong way. Let's, let's yeah. like not pretend that the Yamaha and the Honda, that they were the kings of the electronics back in the day, right? They know how they work. I know it's not the same system, but... Those engineers are smart enough to realise. I think they're trying to solve something with electronics that needs to be solved with aero, potentially. I think Gigi Delini has figured that out. I think the Aprilia are probably going to figure that out because they were struggling with rear grip a bit. They're probably going to figure that one. KTM with this Red Bull wind tunnel will probably be able to figure that out. I think the problem perhaps is because they don't understand the aero well enough, they're trying to solve issues like mechanically or maybe the old-fashioned way or with the electronics, whatever, right? Whereas the other teams are using the arrow to solve the same issues. I think that genuinely could be what it is. I was just thinking that as you were saying it. So I think Honda will definitely try something. Although it seems like so far they've not succeeded. Yamaha might still sit back on the laurels because they're like, well, we still won anyway. Or we still nearly won. So yeah, uh, it's going to be hard to see them fight back. It's not going to be an easy thing. They're not as dominant as they used to be. They don't have the infinite money compared to everybody else like they used to. They can't test you know they can't just put Quattararo around and round and round or you know the Yam- uh, Honda can't send Marquez round Mategi for like three four weeks of testing right they can't do that anymore they, they used to be able to but they, they can't do that so yeah I think they they might improve a bit especially the Honda but it's probably not gonna be enough to be honest yeah you make a again while you were saying that you reckon that's they try to fix it what they know and what they like how often have Honda last since 2018 2019 how often have they brought a new rear swing arm that's been oh we've a new carbon and oh we're going back to the aluminium they're always searching for something in that aspect but maybe it's the fact that they don't have all these wings and this really aero futuristic kind of rear end to the bike and that they don't have the big wings, they don't have all the fins down the side of the fairing, they don't have the Venturi tunnels underneath. Maybe their swing arm is trying to counteract what Ducati are doing, and that's what they are. It's, it's a good point you make that it could be that they're kind of going, well, we know how to make it work this way. We're going to try and achieve that result, but doing it a kind of different way. But it's just maybe that with the current tyre situation in the sport, the current engine rigs, the current everything, it's maybe just not the right way to go about it. And... Um, definitely is interesting but you, you do make the point that Yamaha are kind of, well, we're still kind of winning they won a couple of races last year only because Fabio got a bit of clear track I, I could like I if they brought a similar bike to this year last year this year sorry they I'd say it's, it's not out of the question they could have a Honda season where they don't win a race I could see even with Fabio I could see him not winning a race and that's I our last uh, point of the podcast will go on about our kind of top riders, but I rate Fabio so high compared to everyone on the grid because of what he's done in 21 and 22 with the Yamaha. But 
if you're up against six Ducatis each week, the chances of getting ahead of them early in the race or having some sort of race that you can actually get three seconds up the road from it is going to be so rare and it's going to be it could be a wet race and yam has not gotten wet anymore um has been for years probably since the ecu change in 2016 i don't think they've won a wet race since um i might be mistaken i believe they had a podium in 17 mazano in the wet with maverick i don't see rossi nearly won a valencia yeah, 7 in 18 Rossi came close a couple of times but i don't think mm. they they have i think that was won. more rossi than the bike talk. he's he was always very very quick in the wet fabio was good but, at mandalika and uh Le Mans back in 2021 but he didn't win those mm. either so yeah i think yeah. you're right so it's there's just so much going on with the japanese and i, I wonder where they'll end up next year but i, I genuinely could see it would be such a shock next year if it's Italians winning all year long. If we don't see a Japanese win, it would be it'd be frightening. But we'll move on now to our final point of the podcast. Who are the aliens now? Now the aliens came around in the late two thousands with the likes of Rossi, Lorenzo, Stone, Pedrosa. They were known as the aliens. They were the riders that were just above. I think it was I'm not really sure who key uh, termed it, but it was it's always like a great term. Who the aliens of the class and. It all started out with the Rossi's, Lorenzo's, then it moved on to Rossi, Lorenzo, Marquez, then Davi was kind of in and thereabouts, but he was never never really an alien alien compared to the rest of them. Who would you say right now is your three or four aliens on the grid? I don't know. It's hard to say because I don't think it's it's like that anymore, if, if that makes any sense, because I think they're all so good. Like, I think you'd probably say, like, they're all aliens, if you were comparing it back to the old skill. Because, obviously, everybody takes so much more seriously. They start at such a young age now that they have so much experience. All the riders are phenomenal, right? Like, they're all so, so good. Even, like, the riders at the back of the grid. Because, obviously, the equipment makes a difference. But even the equipment gap is so small. I mean, you look at the times. They're all within, like, a second of each other. Stoney used to put it on pole by, like, a second and a half. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Stoney used to be, like, 1.5 seconds quicker than Rossi, who is an alien... So I, I don't know if it's quite the same, but if I had to pick like riders that I think are significantly better, so if we're like putting in that, I wouldn't say there's three or four. I'd say there's two, and it's Marquez and Quattararo, and I wouldn't say anybody else on the grid is that much better than everybody else. Binder's probably close, to be fair, as well, if I'm completely honest. And don't get me wrong, this is not a slight on any of the other riders, because like I was saying, if I was doing it by the old method of, you know, are they you know within X percent of the top in the world, they'd all be aliens. But if I'm saying how much of them, you know, if we take maybe relative performance, then say they're like X percent better, then perhaps I would say it would literally just be those two. Obviously, Banyaya, fantastic rider as well. But like I've said, you know, he has weak spots, whereas, yeah, right, maybe there's some weak spots for Marquez and Fabio. Like, no one's completely invincible. But in terms of obvious weak points, there's not really any. You know, obviously the Yamaha struggles to overtake, but Fabio himself can overtake. He's proved that. Marquez, you know, his bike has been rubbish for years. So I think that speaks <laughs> speaks it off. I don't really simply say anything about Marquez, do I? His bike's been rubbish and he's still been doing well. So I'd say um, those two are probably my aliens, but if I was to say my top, you know, maybe four riders in MotoGP, then probably say Quattararo, Marquez, Binder. I suppose you've got to put Banyaya next, really. But, I mean, you've still got the likes of Mir, for example. I mean, he is a fantastic rider, but he's not out and out the fastest. You know, it depends how you're doing it. 
And, you know, Binder, to some extent, he puts it on the KTM. He does very well, but maybe he wouldn't be as good compared to Marquez on a Honda, you know, for example. So I, I don't know. It, it is hard to say. But if it was the same on top four, your top three or four riders, it, it would be those four. Yeah, I, I can't really disagree with it, really, because if I was to say aliens are the two riders that I believe would be Fabio and Merck. Um, and and when you when you said two, I think I probably put three and I probably put Brad in before you said it. I, I rate Brad so high. I just think that he's just slightly held back by the equipment he's on. Um, just obviously we know what Mark has done since twenty thirteen, even back as far as his one to five days. He's been one of the best riders in history through all categories, and he's rivaled like Rossi over his years. Fabio has I actually it was funny enough when he won the twenty one season I know I knew when he came up in nineteen he was quick. He didn't crash, he was quick, he seemed great of one lap. He seemed very good and I, I knew he was going to be quick and great in the class. But I oh I thought he was like um maybe like a, a Rins or maybe slightly above that kind of ceiling of a Rins. Um maybe around the Maverick kind of speed. I didn't think that he'd be what I what I class him now as an alien. Yeah, his Moto two and Obviously, three career wasn't that great, was it? That I think that's why where that comes from. Yeah, it could be. Like he was so high rated in the CV, he was like the next big thing. But then he came to Moto three. First year, he was good. He was in the uh, Leopard team. He, he had a very good team. Oh, then he yeah, moved to Leopard. Yeah. yeah. When that happened, he struggled when he went to Leopard. Kind of went nowhere. Then went to Moto two. Was he won one race in Moto two? Yeah. And then got the GPC. Now, I think everyone believed, and obviously whoever he worked with, obviously they saw the talent and what he could do. So they believed him. They got him to the top level. Then 20, he showed weaknesses. And then it came into 21 season. It's just the whole 21 season, the reason I doubt him is that the arm pump in Horeth, he had the whole letters issue in Catalonia. There were so many things that kept going wrong for me. I was like, it's just like he needs to settle down. Like there's too much going on, and it just seemed that he was, he wasn't there yet. No, obviously it was a big learning year from, and in the end he got the championship. But coming into this season, I thought Bagnaia would absolutely romp away with it. I didn't think Fabio had any chance of winning it. And I remember a couple of races throughout last season this year, and I go, Jesus, he is making ten percent difference between that bike and that bike and the rider on it. And to this day now, I still hold him as. See, if I had to go with the, the most, the ultimate fastest rider on the grid right now, I'd probably just tip it to Fabio because he's fit and healthy. Slightly younger than Mark. But he's probably on the worst equipment out of the top four or five in the championship. I still think the Honda, the Honda doesn't have the power disadvantage that Yamaha have. And the power disadvantage is so hard to overcome. You can kind of be good everywhere else, but it can't really show it in the races. So, for me... The aliens are Mark and Fabio, but I think Fabio is just a star at the moment. I think he is so, 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 so good, and I kind of look forward to what he can do. And I, I really hope they can give him a slightly better bike because I feel like he's on his limit everywhere, which is a bit of a shame. It is. It really is because I mean, we saw it. Philip Arlen, for example, he, he fell off just trying to. It's a, it's a track where you would have said maybe like five years ago that bike would have just walked away. It just, just doesn't happen anymore. It's, it's, it's so. It has such a lack of power, even it just can't make it up with Philip Island. So, yeah, I, I really would like to see Fabio on something better. He definitely does deserve it. But those are our top 10 things to watch out for for the 2023 season. 
quite interesting to go through that. Obviously, you know, some things we agree on, some things we disagree on. It's always great when it's like that because, you you know, you don't want us just saying, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, you're right, yeah. Like, it's nice to have some disagreements sometimes. And I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed that. If you are watching, uh, if you are listening on YouTube, you could let us know in the comments, you know, what maybe your top 10 things to watch out for or, you know, what you think to what we've said. If you are watching on YouTube as well, do uh, give the video a like. And if you're on Spotify, if you could rate the podcast five stars, it does help us out quite a lot. But I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. We'll be back with another one soon. Not sure what the topic will be, but you have to wait for it. So we'll see you in the next one.